0: Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Head e and in a Nutshell. I'm your host, Michael Chang, and today we are fortunate to be joined by Dr. Andrew Thambu, a fellowship-trained rhinologist and skull base surgeon. Today we'll be discussing the topic of sinonasal physiology. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Thambu. Thanks, Dr. Chang. Thanks for having me here today. To start, why is it important to understand sinonasal physiology?
1: Well, you know, surprisingly the cyanasal physiology is actually quite important, not just for the nose, but for the lungs, and essentially the entire airway. Uh, The cyanasal tract serves as an important gateway of air that plays a crucial role in our body's immune system. A lot of our colleagues and the public know all about asthma, but very few people actually know about um, the role of the upper airways. Um, Through our understanding of psionasal physiology, um, the assessment and the management of cyanasal diseases such as chronic rhinosinusitis, allergic rhinitis, nasal obstruction, and smell loss. We've actually learned quite a bit about nasal physiology and not its only its role in the upper airways but the lower airways as well. In addition, knowledge of the cyanasal physiology is critical in understanding the effects of various medications such as nasal corticosteroids
0: and decongestants
1: on the nasal mucosa.
0: What are the main functions of the nasal cavity and paranasal sinuses?
1: The nasal cavity has a number of roles. One of the main functions it serves is to warm and humidify and filter the airway as we breathe. Um, The nasal cavity also mediates our sense of olfaction. For the sinuses, there are several proposed theories to their functions. One includes additional surface area to moisturize and filter the air. Two, to lighten the weight of the facial skeleton. Uh, Three, to add resonance to the voice. And four, to protect their brain orbits in trauma, serving as a crumple zone. But it's also important to realize, as I mentioned, that the upper airways plays a role for the lower airways. And from an immune system standpoint, the upper airways filters and cleans the nose, uh, cleans the air part of me through the nose, which allows the air to be filtrated into the lungs in its um, clean capacity.
0: Can you explain the different cell types within the sinonasal lining and how they serve the function?
1: Definitely, Dr. Chang. The nose lining is made of a special type of epithelium known as the pseudostratified ciliated columnar cells. The cilia is quite uh, crucial to the function of the epithelium as these hair-like structures beat in a coordinated fashion and mobilizes mucus and trap particles out of the nasal cavity. In fact, the mucus Um, has a clearance rate of one centimeter per minute. The cilia of the sinus mucosa has a natural directionality of movement toward the natural ostea of the sinus cavity, into the nasal cavity, and then into the nasopharynx. Beyond the epithelium, there are other cells such as goblet cells, and these produce mucus. These goblet cells contain secretory granules that release mucus toward the lumen. There's also seromucinous glands, are acinite lined with cells. Other cells include basal cells. I actually think basal cells are one of the most important cells to understand in the sinonasal lining. Uh, the basal cells are stem cells. They differentiate to various types of cells that respond to injury and inflammation. One of the reasons we have chronic sinus disease is the fact that these basal cells have a memory of producing certain inflammatory markers that lead to a chronicity of inflammation, which is one of the reasons why um, when you do try to fix the sinusal mucosa with a sinus surgery um, by giving nasals corticosteroids, um, these basal cells continue to give inflammation despite giving anti-inflammatories and then stopping. The sinus mucosa also contains a rich network of blood vessels, nerves, and immune cells, which work together to defend against infection and maintain a healthy environment
0: in the nasal cavity and sinuses. Thank you for that very interesting explanation. Can you explain mucus in a little bit more detail? Definitely. Um,
1: you know, mucus, there's a lot of mucus you can make. I mean, a lot of people don't appreciate that uh, you can make a Gatorade full of uh, mucus per day. In fact, about one liter amount. I um, mean, you know, obviously a number of patients come in complaining of all the mucus that they produce. And we, we, it's important for us to explain to our patients that it's quite important to make mucus. Unfortunately, um, mucus can be thin, or thick, and those are the patients that do complain to us have thick mucus. Uh, but it's important to tell them that you know mucus provides lubrication, helps trap foreign particles. The consistency and the amount of mucus produced can vary depending on a number of factors such as allergies, infections, and environmental irritants, which is important to figure out for for patients who do complain of excessive mucus. There are two layers of mucus: one that's more viscous layer, and at bottom that's more serous layer. The mucus uh, is made primarily of water, ninety-five percent. of glycoproteins, and 2% salts. But more importantly, the mucus contains several immune system mediators. IgA, lysosymes, which are bactericidal, lactoferrin, which are bacteriostatic, that line the nasal mucosa and act as the first defense of our immune system.
0: What is the nasal cycle?
1: Great question. Uh, the nasal cycle is a process of alternating the vasodilation and vasoconstriction of the venous sinusoids in the nasal erectile tissue, which is primarily within the inferior turbinate and the anterior septum. In fact, this cycle can switch between side to side every two to eight hours. There are external elements that can affect the nasal cycle, such as exercise, cold air, and changes in body position. How are mucus
0: secretion and the nasal cycle mediated?
1: The nasal mucosa is regulated by our autonomic nervous system. Uh, We have obviously the sympathetic and parasympathetic components um, that mediate this. The sympathetic aspect uh, results in vasoconstriction and thus shrinkage in the terminant, while the parasympathetic component results in vasodilation which results in turbulent enlargement and mucus production. The sympathetic tone originates from the superior cervical ganglion. And then has a postganglionic fiber carried via the deep petrosal nerve. The deep petrosal nerve forms one component of the vidian nerve. Now the parasympathetic tone originates primarily from cranial nerve seven via a branch called the greater superficial petrosal nerve. The greater superficial petrosal nerve combines with the deep petrosal nerve to form the vidian nerve. These preganglionic fibers then synapse in the pterygopalatine ganglion within the pterygopalatine fossa post fibers then carry a parasympathetic tone to the nasal mucosa via the posterior nasal nerve. So how does the nose sense airflow? So my, I think what's really important to appreciate is that sensing airflow is really, really important. Um, there are these airflow receptors concentrated at the anterior portion of the nasal airway within the inferior turbinate. In fact, what can happen is that if you don't have the inferior turment, you sometimes cannot sense airflow um, in certain patient population, um, which, which results in a condition called empty nose syndrome. Um, can result in air actually flowing through the nose, but a patient not sensing it at all. Um, in turment reduction, this is why we make a concerted effort to preserve the nasal
0: lining. So how does this understanding of sinonasal physiology inform our clinical practice?
1: Yeah, it can inform us in multiple different ways. Um, one the most common is obviously nasal obstruction. Uh, we talked about the nasal cycle, uh, where patients with turbid hypertrophy um often describe nasal obstruction which switches from side to side throughout the day. You know, there is actually uh um, something called a Sachs triad comes from Dr. Raymond Sachs, um, in from Australia. He essentially says that when patients present with um alternating nasal obstruction. Worse, when it's lying down and no history of nasal trauma or nasal surgery, that the leading cause for the nasal obstruction is the inferior turbinates. Beyond nasal obstruction is chronic rhinitis. So these are people with excess mucus production. Um, And this is obviously a a dysregulation between that autonomic system that we talked about, between um, the sympathetic and parasympathetic tone. Um, And it can not only just lead to excess mucus production, but congestion as well. Uh, Treatment options uh, for this can be targeting the parasympathetic tone with anticholinergic sprays um, or with target ablation of the posterior nasal nerve that mediates the parasympathetic tone. And lastly, obviously, in individuals patients with chronic sinus disease, we can offer them uh, endoscopic sinus surgery. The concept of sinus surgery is to be functional, which is understanding how mucus is uh directionally pushed towards uh, the ostia due to the ciliary movement Um, and our role as sinus surgeons is to find the natural ostia of each of these sinuses and enlarge them not only to allow for mucus to be um, extruded from these sinus cavities
0: but for allow us to medicate these sinuses as well. That's very interesting. Switching gears a little bit, what is sneezing?
1: Yeah so sneezing is a result of a reflex called the sneeze reflex. It's a natural defensive response of the body to help clear the air we breathe of irritants and this is actually mediated by the trigeminal nerve. There's these sensory receptors in the nose which are stimulated by irritants like allergens or environmental pollutants or viruses and these trigger the trigeminal afferent signal. The brainstem then reflects this signal and leads to an efferent output of slow inspiratory phase, the diaphragm and chest wall contract, followed by a glottic velopharyngeal closure, which builds up the pressure in our um, lungs and then a sudden glottic opening to force the air through the nasal cavity. And what's amazing is the nasal airflow can reach up to 100 miles per hour. That is amazing.
0: And lastly, how does the sinonasal cavity mediate olfaction? This is actually
1: a very important um, function of the nose. In fact, uh, as we've gone through COVID, many people have appreciated the role of olfaction in the nose. Um, olfaction happens at the olfactory epithelium, at the cribriform plate, in the ethmoid skull base, at the superior aspect of the nasal cavity. But we also have olfactory epithelium along the middle turbinate, the superior turbinate. So it's really important, even when we do surgery, to preserve some of that mucosa. Um, inspiration brings in odorant molecules into the nasal cavity. Odorants then dissolve the mucosal lining of the olfactory epithelium, that it be the middle terminate, superior terminate, and the ethmoid skull base, as we discussed. And there are odorant binding proteins in the mucus that concentrate the odorant. These odorants then stimulate olfactory receptor neurons in the epithelium. And each olfactory receptor neuron is tuned to a specific odorant molecule. These olfactory receptor neurons are supported by sustentacular cells, which are the ones that are affected by covid and these olfactory uh, receptor neurons then initiate a signal, which is mediated by intracellular by a G-coupled protein receptor cascade, traveling along the olfactory nerve fiber and synapsing at the olfactory bulb. From the olfactory bulb, the signal is then sent to other regions in the brain, which
0: give us a perception of olfaction. Thank you so much for that thorough review of physiology, Dr. Thambu. To summarize, The sinonasal cavity serves several important functions, which include humidifying the air we breathe, filtering and cleaning the air, immune system defense, and olfaction. The mucosa is comprised of pseudostratified ciliated columnar cells, goblet cells, and basal cells. These are all key for the production and mobilization of mucus and particles within the sinonasal cavity. The nasal cycle is an autonomic nervous system mediated process, which leads to alternating swelling and shrinkage of the nasal cavity lining and its structures throughout the day. Sneezing is a trigeminal nerve-mediated process to help clear the nasal cavity of irritants. Olfaction is mediated by olfactory receptor neurons within the olfactory epithelium. Let's move on to the question and answer portion of this episode. I will ask a question and then pause for a few moments to give you time to think before I provide an answer. Name the cell types that are found in the nasal mucosa and their associated function. Epithelial cells, which are pseudostratified ciliated columnar cells that form the barrier of the lining and whose cilia mobilize mucus and particles. Goblet cells produce mucus, and then basal cells are the stem cells that differentiate in different cell types. Describe the sympathetic and parasympathetic innervation pathways of the nasal mucosa. The sympathetic tone originates from the superior cervical ganglion and then has postganglionic fibers carried by the deep petrosal nerve. The deep petrosal nerve forms one component of the vidian nerve. The parasympathetic tone of the nasal cavity originates primarily from cranial nerve 7 through a branch called the greater superficial petrosal nerve. The GSPN combines with the deep petrosal nerve to form the vidian nerve. These preganglionic fibers then synapse in the pterygopalatine ganglion within the pterygopalatine fossa. Postganglionic fibers then carry parasympathetic tone to the nasal mucosa via the posterior nasal nerve and its branches. What are the components of mucus? Mucus is 95% water and also contains glycoproteins, salts, immunoglobin A antibodies, and bactericidal and bacteriostatic molecules. That concludes today's episode of ENT in a nutshell. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Chang, signing off.